verse 1, 2 Kings chapter 5, and we'll read down to verse 14. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said unto her mistress, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. And one went in and told his Lord, saying, Thus and thus, said the little maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand pieces of gold and ten changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when the letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive? Of this man to send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. And it was so when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? Let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he returned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather then when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean. Then went he down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again, like another you know, flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I know this is a familiar story to most of us. In fact, I don't think it was that long ago that I preached from this text, uh, probably less than a year ago. I'm not sure exactly. We're looking at some of those grace places in the Bible. And, uh, and uh, what I, I wanted to try to look at this with fresh eyes and just a, a fresh lens. And uh, I'm just going to give you what the Lord, how the Lord kind of gave it to me this time and hung a few thoughts on my heart. And I want to give it to you just like that. I'm interested in... Uh, and this little maid, of course, she's very integral to the, to, to, the, to the story and to everything that is going on. And she says in verse 4, Would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. She is uh, exclaiming to whoever will listen to her that, Man, if he could just get to Elisha, if he could just get to the man of God, I know God would work in his life. And I want to preach on this thought, although I want to talk about the little girl a little bit. I'm really not going to preach. It's really a message more about the Lord than it is the little girl. But I do want to, I do want to title it like this, The Little Girl with a Big God. The Little Girl with a Big God. 
Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for the power of God. We're thankful for the spirit of God. Lord, we felt all of these things and encountered all of these things already this evening. Lord, I pray that you continue to speak to our heart from your word tonight. Lord, take this familiar story and hang some fresh truths on our heart. Lord, we're so thankful that the word of God is inexhaustible. We're thankful that the word of God is uh, it's alive and it is able to speak to our heart every time we open up its pages. And Lord, we ask you to do it again tonight. Lord, anoint and touch your preacher tonight. Lord, help me to preach with the power of God. Fill me with the Spirit of God. And I pray that it would have an effect on the people of God tonight. And get all the glory for it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, we've been looking at the miracles of Elisha, the ministry of Elisha. And this is our our next section that we've come to to here, and it's a very familiar, in fact, probably one of the most familiar uh, texts in the life and ministry of Elisha. Jesus, I believe this is right, but check me out on it if, if I'm wrong, but I think this is the only reference that, uh, that Jesus ever made to Elisha was in, in reference to this story right here. I know it's in Luke 4. I know he makes a reference. I'm not sure if there's any other ones to Elisha, uh, and I may say more about that here in just a minute, but, but this is a very familiar story to us. It's very wonderful because it's a very clear picture. It's a wonderful illustration of of salvation, isn't it? Somebody that's got leprosy. Leprosy is a picture of sin, and I may say more about that in just a little bit, but of course it's a picture of sin. It can be hidden for a little while, but then you can't hide it anymore. It grows. It it spreads. It eventually will kill you, and it will destroy you. It separates you from everybody that you love, and then it will take you out of uh, of this world. That's exactly like sin. Isn't that right? There was no cure for leprosy. There was no medicine. There was no balm. Nobody had any remedy uh, for leprosy at all. The only thing that could rid somebody of leprosy was a touch of God. It had to be a miracle. Isn't that like sin? Nobody can cure sin. We got a lot of medicines and a lot of things in this world. Technology and medicine has made a lot of advancements, but there's one thing that doctors and, and scientists will never be able to eradicate, and that is the sin nature that is inside of man. Man cannot take care of sin. It is a man problem ever since the Garden of Eden. Man, uh, sin has entered the world and death by sin. And man can cure all kinds of things, but they cannot cure death. There is no doctor that has any success rate at all against death. Death is undefeated against doctors, all right? That's all they do is practice. That's why they call it a practice. They don't ever perform. They just practice, all right? You're going to die of something unless the rapture takes place, all right? All right, aren't you glad you come to church tonight? How many of y'all excited about that? All right, cheer up. You're going to die. All right. There's no cure for leprosy. It's just death. That's how it ends. But a touch of God can change, can change that. What a great picture of salvation. Of course, Naaman was a Gentile. I think we better point that out. In fact, that was the point of Jesus bringing it up in Luke chapter 4. He brought up the woman of Zarephath that Elijah sustained. He brought up the, he brought up the, the, the Naaman, the leper. Why? To tell them Jews, listen, if you don't want it, there's another group that'll take it. Amen. It's the Gentiles. Aren't you thankful that salvation is for all people. Aren't you glad? I think I preached that this morning, didn't we? Aren't you glad that Jesus is interested in saving anybody from anywhere, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been? I'm glad the power of God is able to touch our life, no matter what. There's a, that's an obvious lesson. There's an obvious lesson, of course, in this, in this little girl, this little maid. 
She opened her mouth. She told somebody some good news. Did you know opening your mouth can have big consequences, good and bad? The tongue is powerful. And James said death and life, life and death is in the power of the tongue. You can heal, but you can also kill. You can help, you can hinder, you can hurt with the tongue. This girl, she used her mouth as she used it for good and for God. As she used it to tell somebody about the power of God. And she said, man, and I know this little girl, she didn't have it all figured out. No doubt she couldn't give you probably a theological discourse about a lot of things. But she knew that there was a preacher over in Israel uh, that had the power of God. And God used him and God worked through him. And no doubt her parents had told her stories about uh, about the Jehovah God and about, about the man of God and the prophets of God and and how God used them to do great things. And she just blurted it out. She said, man, if he could just get to to, uh, Elisha, I know, I know God would work in his life. I thought about preaching a whole message just specifically on this little maid. Because when I I think about her, I think about a couple things. I I can't help but notice. I thought about this little maid just just by introduction here. I thought about about her forgiveness. You know, it would take a lot of forgiveness to say something like that. You say, why do you say that? Well, in verse number 2, the Bible gives us the little backstory on the little maid, on the little girl. She'd been brought away captive. You know what captive means, right? It means you didn't go because you want to go. Captive, captive means you went against your will. Captive meant you were taken. You were, uh, you were uh, kidnapped. And that's exactly what these nations would do when they would invade another nation. They would kill, no doubt. But if they could take anybody that was useful, Daniel was a captive. And, and, uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which they're Babylonian names, but they were captives. And, and they were taken away from their home. And they were taken away from their parents. Her parents could have been killed. We don't know that her parents are even still alive. Her parents could have been killed. And they said, we'll keep the little girl. We'll use her as a slave back in Syria. And so I don't know exactly every part of it, but I know that she is is here. She has been separated from her parents. She has been removed. She's old enough. You say, well, maybe she was just a baby. She's old enough to know something about the real God. She's old enough to remember stories about Elisha and about Elijah. She's old enough to know those things. So she's got to be at least, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. I'm not sure how old she is. But here she is knowing about these things that she was taught as a child, knowing she's been removed by people. And I don't know about you, but if I've been separated from everything that I've ever known, and I hear Man, the, the, the man that was in charge of the art, the man that gave the order to ruin my life. If I ever heard he had leprosy, I don't know what you'd think, but I would think, good riddance. I might think, well, he's got leprosy. Well, he's getting what he deserves. I don't know. You might be tempted to, maybe nobody in here would think these bad thoughts, but you might be tempted to think. Well, you know, I hope he dies quick. (laughs) But no, she's interested in his health. She's interested in his life. She may even be interested in his soul. I'll tell you what that is. That's forgiveness. When you can try to be a blessing and help and pray for somebody that has changed your life and hurt you deeply, I'll tell you what that is. That's forgiveness. You know why? I don't think it's just because she's some kind of great 
you know, Jehovah worshiper necessarily. I think it's just because she's a little girl. And you know what? Little girl, sometimes when you're little, you don't know better than just to love everybody. You say, well, what do we do? Well, I think I remember reading somewhere where Jesus told us that we need to become like a little child. I think I think I remember when Paul, I think Paul said something to the church. He said, in, in, in malice, I want you to be children. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about no, don't hold grudges. Just have that loving, that loving spirit towards people. Man, if we could see people like God does and realize they just need help is all they need. We could pray for them. I think she's a great lesson in forgiveness. She's a great lesson in fervor. I don't know about you, but I noticed the punctuation. Did you see that? It wasn't just verse 3. It wasn't just like she was saying, uh, well, I, you know, well, there's somebody. She didn't whisper it to somebody. She didn't just say, you know, just try to, try, to, try to, you know, beat around the bush. I mean, it sounds like she just blurted out in front of everybody with a big exclamation mark on it. You see that in verse number 3? What God, he were with the prophet that was in Samaria. What God, he knew Elisha could get to Elisha it seemed like some passion. And I'll tell you what's wrong with our witness many times is we don't have passion. One of the wor- worst billboards for Jesus there could ever be is an impassioned, impassionate witness. We act like, listen, you're never going to win anybody. You're never going to woo anybody. You're never going to be a real witness to anybody when you act like it's miserable following Jesus. Amen. <laughs> no, some of y'all don't get excited about anything that has anything to do with eternity. You don't mind getting excited about a ball game. You don't mind, and I get excited about ball games. Or I'm not going to lie. You don't mind, but listen, I tell you, there's more things in ball games and, and stock markets and, and raises and 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 and, 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 and vacations and, and all these. I mean, all this. Get excited about all those things. I'm here to tell you, man. I believe God is worth getting excited about. The power of it can change somebody's life, man. That's worth getting excited about. No doubt about it. She had some fervor. She had some forgiveness. She had. Faith, didn't she? What about her faith? She had a, you know what kind of view this little girl had of God? She had a big G God. Man, she, she knew if he could just get there, if he could just get to the prophet. You see what she said? If he could just get to the prophet, he might get healed. No, that ain't what she said. That ain't what she said at all, is it? You know, if he could just get there, maybe, possibly... No, no, no. He said, for he would recover him. I'm telling you, that's faith right here. Not just that God is able, not just that God can, but she believed that God would. God would do it. I know the kind of God that we have in Samaria, in Israel. God is not just able, but God will. Her parents taught her enough about the power of God, and she believed that God could do anything. The only thing that I could think of, I, I was trying to rack my brain, and maybe, maybe I'm missing something. Y'all help me when I get done preaching, all right? Don't interrupt, don't interrupt this fine message right here, okay? But when I get done, y'all help me out. But I could, I'm trying to think, where did this girl get this kind of faith from? Had, had God, I'm trying to, I'm not gonna, has God been healing a bunch of lepers in the Bible? I, I, the best I could tell, the only thing that if she was thinking about what God had done in the past as far as leprosy, the only two people that I could think of that's been touched and healed by leprosy was Moses and Miriam at this point. Moses, it was just for a sign. It was just for a moment. Miriam, she only had hers for about a week. 
but she was uh, running her mouth against her brother Moses and Moses prayed on her behalf and God healed her leprosy and maybe she thought about she thought about uh, old Miriam there just an old just rebelling against the man of God and rebellious and and and, and running her mouth and said man if God would heal her I know God could heal anybody that's the only point of reference that I think she would have maybe she was told that story as a child out of the book of Numbers, that God was merciful with leprous rebels. <laughs> said, man, God may heal him. No, God would recover him of his leprosy. She was just a little girl, but she had faith in a big old God. A big God. How big is your God? How big is your God? I tell you, listen, I, I believe with all my heart the reason we're not having an impact on this world and society because we got a little G God. Just a little G God. Well, he might, he maybe, I don't know. Pray for me, the devil's been, you know, and that's all we talk, all we talk. We got a big devil and a little God. And I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the enemy's attacks on our life. I'm just here to tell you, we, we magnify the devil more than we magnify God. <laughs> Oh, the devil's been doing that. The devil's been doing that. I don't know what. You don't know where God is in your life. We're not sure where God is, but the devil's been hanging around a lot. I'm telling you, God is greater. God is bigger. Amen. We've got a big God. And this little girl, she was just little enough and naive enough, I guess. She hadn't, she hadn't been, been, been messed up by the, by the things of life. And she still believed in a God that was able and that would and, and that cared. Man, what a big God. I just thought about this big God that we see here in our text. Can I give you a couple things? I see what time it is, but let me, let me magnify God just for a minute. Not that I'm going to make Him any bigger than what He is, but I want us to see Him real big. I see God real big in this text. We have a big God. we got a big God. This little girl had a big God. And this big God... I want to talk about them just for a minute before we go home. Number one, let me say this, that we have a big God who, number one, here's what I'm thinking about. He considers our secrets. He considers our secrets. Verse number one, he, we're given this resume of Naaman. Do you see that? And I'm not going to point out anything you've never seen before, but, but notice this, all these things, these amazing things. We're, we're given this big resume of him. He's captain of the host of king of Syria. He's a great man. Uh, he's honorable. Uh, he, he has, a, he has a, a track record of, uh, of victory in his life. We know God gave him that victory, uh, but, but yet there, there he is. He probably don't realize these things. His mind, he's probably larger than life. And everybody else's mind, he's highly esteemed. He's large, he means something to the king of Syria. He's very, he's very uh, ready to get this man some help. He seems like a very, very important man. And all these things that are listed about him. But do you notice the very, very last, just the very last phrase of verse number 1. It says, but he was a leper. Well, that's a big deal. It's almost like maybe we should spend some more time about that. Because the very last thing, if it's actually, if you want to count them up, it's the sixth thing. Six is the number of man. There's one thing, two things, three things, four things, five things said about them, but it's that sixth thing that got them. It's that number six. 
It's his humanity. It's his flesh. It's his sin. It's here it is. It's leprosy on his... And it's that one thing. It's five good things and only one bad thing. You say, well, only one bad thing and five great things. That's... And how about that? Isn't that great? One would... You know, somehow these five things would overshadow... But you know, this one thing was so great that it undid all the five things. That one thing was so awful that it threatened to take away all the amazing things about Him. Isn't that how sin is? This one thing threatened to ruin everything that He had ever worked for. And this issue, no doubt, it started as a personal thing. It started as a, as a, as a small thing. It started as a, as a secret thing. And, and, and he's the only one that saw it because that's how leprosy starts. It just starts as just a little, just a little a red spot on the skin. And then, and of course, it begins to, it begins to spread. And, and he realized this thing could not be kept a secret forever. It was the kind of thing that after a while you couldn't hide anymore. I read a little thing about leprosy. I thought this guy described it very well. I just tell you what he said, but he said ancient leprosy began as a small red spot on the skin. And before too long, it was multiple spots. And then the spots would get bigger. And then they turn white with sort of a shiny, scaly appearance. Pretty soon the spots spread over the whole body and hair begins to fall out. First from the head. I don't have leprosy. Okay, just let you know. Then from the eyebrows. See? No leprosy. I'm good. As things got worse, fingernails and toenails become loose. They start to rot and eventually fall off. The joints of fingers and toes began to rot and fall off piece by piece. Gums began to shrink. and They're unable to hold your teeth. So each of them began to fall out. Leprosy eats away at the face until literally the nose and the palate and even the eyes are rotted out. And the victim wastes away until he dies. That's leprosy. That's where he's at. You're a great man, Naaman. What does it matter? You're a rich man, Naaman. What does it matter? You're you're a victorious. Look at all them pins of victories in battle. Especially that one against Israel. What What a great battle that was doesn't matter. He's in line for all kinds of promotions, but not anymore. He's in line and he's, in, 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 he's due for all kinds of parades, but not anymore. His secret. If people really knew what was going on with him, he would immediately be ostracized from their presence. People would soon forget about all the good that he had ever done in his life because of what was disgusting in his life. And although other people probably began to be afraid of him and scared of him as his secret began to come out, can I tell you, there was a big God in heaven who knew absolutely everything about him and yet still cared for him anyway. And while everybody else while everybody else was slowly trying to get away from him, there was a God in heaven that was slowly making his that was slowly making his way into Naaman's life. 
slipping a little, slipping a little missionary, slipping a little undercover agent, little 007 little maid in there to get you. What was that little maid doing? That was God getting into Naaman's life. Everybody else was trying to get away, and God said, I'm going to get closer. You know why? Because there's a God in heaven that knows absolutely everything about you. Not just those things you want everybody else to know. Not just those things that those plaques that hang on your wall. Not just those things you put in your social media uh, biography. But He knows absolutely everything about you. And I'm here to tell you, you don't scare Him one bit. You might scare some other people off, but you ain't going to scare God off. Amen. I tell you, one of the, one of the, one of the most scary things, one of, the, one of your greatest... I can tell you what one of your greatest fears is. I promise you I can. I know what your greatest fear is. It's not spiders. You know, most people, their greatest fear is public speaking. Mine is spiders. <laughs> I have to get up. Did you see these boys up here? Hey, Amen. They were a little scared, weren't they? They did good, though, didn't they? They're scary. A lot of fear. But I tell you, that's not it. It's not claustrophobia or whatever. It's not that. You know, I'll tell you what your greatest fear is it's for somebody to know everything about you. That's why we work overtime to make sure that don't happen. <laughs> Come on now. Your greatest fear is to be fully known. Because you're afraid that if you are fully known, if somebody knew everything about you, they wouldn't want to be your friend anymore. They wouldn't want to be around you anymore. They wouldn't want to be married to you anymore. They wouldn't want to go to church with you anymore. They wouldn't want to, they wouldn't want to be friends with you on Facebook anymore. If somebody fully knew us, they would not fully love us anymore. But can I tell you something about God? He knows everything about you. He is such a big God that He knows every, He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you better. Listen, those things you half the things about you about you that you believe about yourself isn't even true. Good and bad. We think we're better than what we are, and we think we're worse than what we are. Just depends on what day of the week it is. By the way, it's pride fueling both of those things. Pride is pride is the little is the little monster behind both of them. When we're up and when we're down, real humility just forgets about. Don't think you don't even think about yourself at all. But anyway, I'm not preaching on that. But listen, we're afraid that if God, but can I tell you something? God knows everything about you, and He still loves you. He still cares for you. And if you're saved, you're still accepted in the beloved. Can I tell you something? You can trust God with your secrets. You can, he knows everything about you. He knows that one thing. There's, you know, listen, you probably know what it is right now, that one thing in your life that threatens to undo all the good things in your life. Can I tell you, he, still, he knows that too. He knows what's going on in that. And he still loves you and he still cares for you. We got to present these lovable versions of ourselves to other people. But you don't have to do that with God. In fact, all these things about Naaman didn't impress God at all. And the worst, the best things about Naaman didn't impress God at all. And the worst thing about Naaman didn't repel God at all. That's a big God. I'm not that big. I'm not that big. Listen, there's things if I know about some people, I, listen, I, I, it's tough, isn't it? But I'm glad we have a big God. 
And that secret that's trying to destroy you, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't repulse God. You can come to Him. You can bring Him your secrets. And you can let God touch you and help you. That's not an excuse to carry on, is it, in our secrets? But that's a reason not to run away from Don't run away from God. Run to God. And be honest with Him. He knows anyway. You might as well be honest with Him. And that's what Naaman had to do, didn't he? He had to come to God with his worst secret. And let God work in his life. He's a big God. He considers our secret. Number two, not only is he a big God that considers our secrets, but secondly, let me say this, he's a big God that corrects our strategies. I like this. That uh, <laughs> uh, So he hears about you know, this prophet in Samaria. It's going to line all this up. And, 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 and when he gets word of this prophet that could heal him, you know what he does? Verse 5 tells us that he gets the king of Syria involved. He goes to the king. And that king, well, they do what kings do. They, they write letters and put their seals on things and send money and presents and gifts. And everybody's just doing what everybody else. This is how things work in the political realm. By the way, nothing's changed much. You know, I, I hope you're not naive to think that everybody in D.C. is, uh, you know, honest and pure and, and sincere. You understand the only way things get done is bribery and, 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 and pandering and, and you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You understand that's how things go. That's how it always goes. Okay, just making sure, making sure y'all know that. By the way, if they're good when we send them to D.C., they ain't good when they get there. You say, how long does it take? I don't know, about 14 seconds, I guess. They're all corrupt. Anyway, <laughs> he gets the king of Syria involved. The king of Syria does what he does. He writes letters to the king of Israel because that's where the prophet's supposed to be right and, and everything has to work through the government, right? That's just how these people's mind works. They, they don't understand the things of God and the economy of God. And they don't understand anything. And, and it about, about creates a whole political disaster, doesn't it? The king of Israel says, oh, man, he rends his clothes. And he's like, am I God? Well, at least there's one good thing about that king of Israel. He knew he wasn't God. You can't be said for every politician in Washington, D.C. Some of them think they are, don't they? Think they can do anything and solve everything. Hey, y'all quit. Y'all quit getting me off all that stuff. I've been too political today. I blame it on all of you. It's not my fault. But that's how he does things. He brings his money even when he gets to life. He's bringing, I'm not going to take time to go through the whole thing, but we read it together. He's bringing changes of clothes and, and all these talents of silver and he thinks he's going to buy things. And He goes to the kings and he's trying to bring all of his money and flash all of his wealth. But can I tell you something? Naaman went to the wrong king and the king of Syria went to the wrong king. There's only one king that can solve a situation like this and he doesn't want our money and he doesn't need our clothes and he doesn't need to be impressed with anything. But, but I tell we ought to cut Naaman just a little bit of slack because he was only doing what he knew to do and there was a problem. You go to the highest authority, you know you take it to the man in charge. That's how solutions were, were formed. That's how problems were solved. That's how things were done in the channels of earthly power. You get it done in the halls of, of Congress or the halls of, of the palace or whatever. And, and I, but, but, here's, but here's what I notice. Here's what I notice about this. I want you to look how big God is. Look how big God is. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't get mad at Naaman. He doesn't laugh at Naaman. He doesn't dismiss Naaman's efforts. He doesn't hide himself from Naaman. Verse number 8, guess what happens? Elijah 
Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had rent his clothes. And, and long story short, Elisha goes to the king of Israel. What is that? That is God getting involved. Naaman, you got a problem, and you're not even trying to solve it in the right. You're not even solving it right. But I tell you what I'll do. I'm so big and I'm so gracious and I'm so much God. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll overrule your little uh, plan and I'll overrule your strategies and I'll help you anyway in spite of not even going about it the right way. (laughs) I thought, man, isn't that good? Isn't that how God is? Man, I tell you, we got problems. And I tell you, most of the time, we don't even try to solve our problems the right way. But I'm glad we have a God that even when we don't try to solve our problems the right way, I'm glad He's a God that still steps in our life and still says, I tell you what, I know you got a problem you can't fix. And I know you ain't even going to the right place to try to fix it. But I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to help you out anyway. He's bigger than our strategies. Look how big God is. Have you ever tried to solve a problem on your own and do it your own way and in your own power and it ought to have been a big mess? You ought to have fell down on your face. You ought to have just made it even bigger than what you what you what it was already. But yet God intervenes anyway and He steps in anyway and He helps you anyway and He moves on your behalf anyway. You say, what is that? That's a big God. That's a big God. Naaman was just doing what lost people do. <laughs> he was just doing what pagans do. But God was just doing what God does. <laughs> Being gracious to him anyway. I thought about some of you ought to think about before you got saved, before you knew God. Some of you got married before you got saved. Some of you choose a, chose a career path and started a family before you got... You weren't thinking about God. You were strategizing like a pagan strategizes. You were, you were working things like a lost man works things. You were trying to figure out things like a lost man does. But you know what God did? God didn't just blow your life up. He come in and He blessed your life anyway. And He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take your little strategies and I'll work them together for good and for my glory. You know what that is? That's grace. That's God. Some of you ought to, you ought to thank God. I'm t- you know how hard it is to find a spouse, to find a good one? After you get saved, and some of you like a blind squirrel that found a nut every now and then, you just happen to stumble into something good. You just happen to stumble into something blessed. You know what that was? That was God overcoming your strategies. You weren't looking for anybody godly. You were looking for somebody hot. Is that right? Some of y'all were just looking for anybody. <laughs> we got, guess what? God, and now look around. You got a godly family. God's blessed you. You honor God. You know what that was? That was God correcting our strategies. And I tell you, even since we've been saved, don't we? A lot of times we try to do things in our own power and our own strength and our own energy, and God ought to just. Just thump us real good and let us just... And, a lot, and sometimes God will. I'm not saying he, he does that every time. Sometimes God will just let everything fall apart so we'll realize, hey, we didn't do this right. But I'm telling you, more times than not, more times than not, God steps in and says, you're doing that all wrong, but I'm going to let it work out anyway. <laughs> oh, man. That's a big God right there. That's a big God. <laughs> oh, thank God for it. That's just grace, isn't it? That's just God. That's grace. He's a big God. He considers our secrets and loves us anyway. He corrects our strategy. He helps us anyway, don't He? And then we have a big God who 
I'll give you this last one. I'm done. He confronts our stubbornness. Isn't that right? Oh, Naaman. <laughs> he just can't get out of his own way, can he? This man has every reason to, st- to go home a leper. I like saying leaper better. Can I say that? It just sounds better. He was a leaper. I don't know why I said it out loud. But he comes with his horses, verse 9, with his chariots. He stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger unto him. <laughs> Didn't even come out himself. Did y'all read everything good about him in verse 1? Elisha, you know what he's doing? He's sitting on the couch. You say, I don't see that in the text. Oh, it, it, just, just listen to me. Close your Bible, listen to me. No, I'm just kidding. I'll do it. I'm just kidding. Now, he's sitting on the couch. It's, it's, the, it's the ninth inning. He ain't going to get up. It's, he's watching the game. Here comes Naaman. All of his horses and all of his chariots and all of his money and all of his pomp and circumstance. And Elisha doesn't even get up. He sends his, sends his messenger, sends his servant. And then when he goes to him, verse 10, he tells him, yeah, see that little muddy, muddy river out there in Jordan? little dirty, muddy river. Go out there and wash seven times. Dip seven times. And the Bible says that his pride, well, the Bible doesn't say anything about his pride, but the Bible does tell us that it, he, he goes away in rage at the end of verse number 12. I, I'm the one that put pride in there. Obviously, his pride, it turns into rage. I, I was interested, I did a little, little word study here. I was interested to note, I did not know this until I, Searched it in my little computer program, but that's the first mention of rage in the Bible. I think it tells us, usually when you want to learn something about a word, about a concept, first mention, it kind of opens up a lot of things. I think it really does tell us a lot about what rage is. And I even did a little study on it. Maybe I'll preach a message on it. I don't know. The Lord will show me a few things. But I'll tell you what, I think I've come to this conclusion. I think you can support it in other places in the Bible. Rage is, 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 is usually the result, and what you'll find throughout the Bible is this, and you'll find it in your life too, rage is normally the result of a wounded ego. It's pride. When your pride gets hurt, it's rage. It's more than anger. It's more than wrath. It's a, it's a, it's a full-out rage. Anger that scares, frightens, uncontrollable. And then you'll usually find it when the ego has been wounded. And he flies, in the end of verse number 12, he flies into a rage. He's talking about these other rivers, Abana, Parfar. Rivers are, aren't they better? There's other rivers. There's cleaner rivers. There's better rivers. I was listening to a message coming down the road uh, this week. I was. Uh, I already knew what I was going to preach and had my outline and everything, but I always like to just find preachers that have preached on this text. And I, I found an old Hanley Milby message. You might know that preacher, Hanley Milby, old preacher from Kentucky. He was preaching a message called, Which River? And it was tremendous. And he talked about, the Abana. he gave a little history about the Abana and the Parfar. The Abana, it was called, here's what he said. I haven't studied it out. You just have to ask Brother Milby about it if you see him, all right. He said it's called the, they called it, it was called the Golden Stream is what it was called. It was a beautiful river. The, the far part was the same way. It was a cool, clear, crystal clear stream. It was refreshing. 
It was a one, and then you got the Jordan River. It's just an old, dirty, nasty, muddy. This, this old river over here. Why do we got to go? Aren't there better rivers? Aren't there, aren't there better things to do? Better rivers to, to dip into? He said in verse number 11, he said, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God, strike his hand over the place and recover the... Oh, oh, uh, oh Naaman's been watching TBN. He's been watching Benny Hinn and Greg Locke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. He's been watching. Hey, come out there and slap your hand and, you know, sell my Honda, sell it, see my bow tie. Boom! Thought it was going to be some great show. He had all this thing worked out in his mind, and it was going to be some great big thing, and, and, and just just great. And that's even what his servants confront him about. Said, "Man, if he'd have bid you do some great thing, wouldn't you have done it?" And his own presupposed plans got blown out of the water. His own thoughts, thoughts of himself, thoughts of the prophet, thoughts of how God works and what God uses who God uses. Here's what's amazing. His mind, listen to this, his mind had to be changed before his problem could be solved. Before he ever got help for his problem, God had to change his mind. He had to change his mind. I tell you, that's what, listen to me. I'm trying to wind this down, but listen to me. That's why most people, they'll never get help. The battle's here. The battle's here. Stubborn as a mule. Some of y'all laugh about that and think it's some kind of like a good character quality. That's not good. Well, he's just stubborn like his daddy. Well, you need to slap him and his daddy. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Listen, that's not good. Stubborn is when God's trying to trying to trying to help you and, and bless you and He wants it and you just keep pushing away. But man, if, if we can surrender this thing to God and give our thoughts to the Lord, take captive every imagination that exalteth itself against God. There's imaginations that exalt themselves. That's what Paul said, right? They exalt themselves against God. And that's what this man had. Your thought life will keep you from God's best life for you. And it's not that God's way is too hard. It's that it's too humble for some people. God's way is not too hard. It's too humble. You see, if he'd have done some great thing, if, if, the, if, if, the, if the man of God would have said, here, run through this obstacle course, I'm sure he would have done it. But dip in a dirty river, he's worried about great things. I'm telling you, we get real, we get really messed up when we start trying to trying to do great things and think that's going to help. Listen, don't worry about great things. Don't worry about hum, do humble things. Don't worry about obedient things. No matter how crazy it may sound, let God worry about the great things. You do the humble things. Let God do the great things. Because God's looking at us and say, you're trying to do all these great... Listen, we're not, you want me to do the great things or you want to do the great things? We ain't going to both do the great things. It's better to humble yourself and let God do the great things.
We've got to submit our mind. We've got to submit our, our will to God's. You know, right then and there, Miss Maddie, you can come around the piano. I need to wind this thing down. Right then and there, God, God could have, should have. Where you? He could have let Naaman. Naaman was about to go home. What? He's, about, he's about to head back. Back to Syria in a rage, mad. But he'd have still been a leper. But in God's grace, you know what? God was so big. God was so gracious that he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to confront your stubbornness. And he had some servants. And you know that took some boldness. Verse 13, And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, the prophet had bid thee do some great thing. Wouldst thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saith unto thee, Wash and be clean. Then, then when he down and dipped himself. So, you know, thank God for some, for some servants that were willing to confront you know what those were? They might have been naming servants, but right here, they're God's servants, weren't they? They were doing God's work, weren't they? A servant willing to confront him and his stubborn ways. And sometimes one of the most merciful things God could ever do in our life is to allow us to be confronted about our stubbornness and our wrong thinking. God didn't accommodate his thinking. That's how, that, that's how most people have a God... Society's created this little God that accommodates to everybody's thinking. So it's, 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 it's what, what, whatever you think about God. So, you know, when Naaman says, well, I thought God was going to do this. And, we, and, and then if he was living today, somebody would come alongside and say, whoa, 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 well, you know, who, if that's the kind of God that you want. You know, who, who, who are we to tell you what kind of God you can or cannot have? God that there is. We'll accommodate whatever you think of God. Only problem is Naaman's thoughts of God were way too small. God was bigger than what he could possibly even imagine. And to have somebody to confront him and say, no, that's not how God is. That's not how God's working. You need to, it's not trying to get God on board with you. You need to get on board with God or there ain't going to be anything changing here. Naaman received his cleansing. His life has changed. But his stubbornness, unchecked stubbornness, would have cost him everything. His thoughts, his mind would have cost him absolutely everything. And I'll tell you what God's grace looks like sometimes. Sometimes God's grace looks like a brother in your face saying, You're wrong. You need to get right. If you don't change your mind about some things, listen, you're going to go home and your ear's going to fall off and your nose is going to fall off and your fingers are going to fall off and you're going to die a horrible, slow, painful, lonely death if you don't change your mind right now about how big God is. Aren't you glad we have a big God? Aren't you glad He's bigger than your secrets? Aren't you glad He's he's bigger than your strategies? And aren't you glad He's bigger than your stubbornness? I'm glad. (laughs) I'm glad God knows how to bust us in the mouth sometimes. Amen. Thank God for it. He knows how to break us down and change our minds. That's a God that's to be worshipped. He's a big God. How big is your God?
I'm glad he's a big God. Let's stand together.